The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. We're in the book of Jonah. Uh, we're, we're starting our new summer series in the book of Jonah. I, I thought it was appropriate. The book of Jonah is this amazing book. In the beginning, it's a little bit of lecture, just so we have an understanding. We're going to pray and re- read the first six verses. So if you're looking for the book of Jonah, don't try to just willy-nilly find your way there. You're not going to do it. Uh, it's in the middle of the Old Testament prophets. It's a very difficult book to find because that is the entire book right there. That's it. Those two pages are the book of Jonah. It's one of the most well-known stories. I can prove it if you grew up in church. Jonah and the whale. You guys all say whale, fish, whatever it is. Uh, And and unfortunately, we're going to call it the VeggieTales effect. This book has been hijacked by children's ministry. This book is not, this story is definitely not a children's story. You have to be an adult to understand the gravity of this book because it is full of wit and sarcasm, the Bible has sarcasm for those of you who did not know, and some of you are rejoicing because sarcasm is your mother tongue. Um, the Bible has it. And, and there is anger and threats and wrath. Jonah wants to die. And, and if we need to start this way, uh, this sermon series outright, we have to understand that Jonah is a terrible, terrible human. Okay? We're going to just start with that. We, we lift up the people in the Bible, but the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible actually does something very different. The Bible makes sure we see every flaw of every person except for one. His name starts with J and rhymes with Isas. Okay? Uh, Jonah, this summer sermon series that we're doing, it's appropriate because we live in Florida. And, um, and I thought it would be fun. At first, I was going to call it jumping in with two feet. But then I thought that was too on the nose for Floridians. And half of you are scared of the ocean anyway, which um, wrong state to live in. So we're going to jump into this book. If you found it, if you've gone to your table of contents and found it, or if you've turned on your Bible and scrolled up to see Jonah on the list, we're going to be reading the first six verses uh, right now, and then we'll pray and jump into his word. This is the word of God. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise! Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish to go with, uh, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down, he had gone down to the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, today, as we jump into this sermon series, I pray, God, that we would banish from our mind, if we grew up in the church, flannel graphs and veggie tales and children's stories, that we would be captivated and gripped by this story of a prophet who runs, who reveals such similar tendencies that we tend to have in our hearts. And Lord, may we not be like Jonah. May we have the presence of Jesus within us so that we can hold fast to what you call us to do. Lord, give us strength today. Give us wisdom and vision to see beyond the children's story as we study this book. I thank you for your word. Change us, shape us, transform us. All of God's children said, 
Amen. So Jonah, um, if, if you, this sermon series, if you did not grow up in the church, I didn't grow up in the church, you're going to see some of yourself in Jonah. Some of you have been running from God for a very long time. And some of you, some of you may have been running from God because you didn't like a particular principle, or maybe there was a church experience that you had that was very negative. Uh, maybe you didn't like some of the, the additional rules that sometimes we followers of Jesus tend to stack on top of the Bible. And so you might see yourself in the story of Jonah because Jonah was talked to by God and God said, go this way. And Jonah went the other way. Some of you, uh, maybe you're very religious and you're moral looking on the outside. You're what the people around you would call a straight arrow. You're the person who actually checks every email. You text people back the same moment that you received the text. When you see an Excel spreadsheet, your heart palpitates with romance. Some of you are, are that person, very strict religious person. And, and I'm glad you're here as well. But, but I need you to understand that Jonah was a prophet of God. And, and when the call came to him, his doctrine, his knowledge about God didn't save him. Jonah lacked something. He lacked a relationship with God that compelled him, that, that grabbed him and made him want to serve. And, and we saw the beginning of this story. So I hope that this summer, as we go through the book of Jonah, I'm just forewarning you, each week is like a punch in the gut. But don't worry, because it's punched me first, because I've been meditating on it all week, and, and this will be no different. Because God has called some of you to do something. Some of you feel like you are in a storm right now. We didn't even get to the fish part. The fish part is just two verses in this whole book. So if you make this book about the fish, if you make this book about do miracles exist or not, you've missed the whole book. This book is a, a literary masterpiece, and it's different from the other prophets. The other prophets is God speaking through a prophet to a people. The Lord says this. The Lord says this. Jonah is a book about a terrible human who God says, I'm going to show you what a train wreck of an existence looks like. In all of the children's books, um, and we'll put up a slide I googled on Amazon, Jonah Books. And this is what I got. You would think that Jonah is really about a fish. And I like the one in the bottom specifically because literally he just got spit out of the fish and he's smiling. Like, I don't smile when I, uh, that just see, does that seem weird to anybody? Like he's smiling with digestive juices on him. This is what we've done to this story. We have broken it in a bad, bad way and we've made it about a fish. And, and that's not the point. The point of Jonah is that there's a God who will chase us down. The name of the series is The Divine Chase because God pursues us when we run from him. And I, I love that. So we're going to look at the very first verse because I, I love this verse. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, no one laughed because that's a Jewish joke. But you're supposed to laugh right there. You're supposed to be like, that is funny. Because dove is what Jonah's name translates to. Amittai is son of faithfulness. So, so right out of the gate, if you grew up in the church, this is, the dove represents purity and God's presence. And this book starts out with, this guy, he is pure and a son of faithfulness. Now, if you know the story, if you had the puppet acting in your class in childhood, you know that he is everything but pure and faithful. Go to Nineveh, that great city. Now, we don't translate this very well. Um, it's like going to the worst city in the middle of a great strife. So imagine, um, for those of you who like to jump out of airplanes with parachutes, imagine if you got the call in World War II and said, we're going to drop you by yourself into the middle of Berlin. 
And you're going to land right there in the center of Berlin, and we're, you're going to walk around and just tell all the Germany, Germany people, all the Nazis, all the, the people who are against and want to kill, you say, turn because the Lord wants you to repent. Turn. Nobody's signing up for that mission. Nobody's like, uh, count me in. Nobody wants to go to Moscow in the Red Square in the middle of the Cold War. There's not many people that want to go into North Korea today. And, and just walk around the city and say, everyone turn to God, you have done bad things. But this is what was being asked of Jonah. Nineveh was bigger and badder at the time than anything that we currently have. The way that they killed people was horrendous. I, I can't say it because there are some children here. But imagine the worst ways of torturing and killing, and this is where God was sending him. But, but Jonah wasn't afraid. That wasn't the main reason he didn't go. And, and I know this because in chapter 4, verse 2, it tells us, Jonah, Jonah tells us, because the story unravels, uh, Jonah goes in and the fish thing happens. He gets spit up and then he goes into Nineveh and he preaches in the Hebrew. It's a five words. It's a five word sermon. Some of you in here, especially if you grew up in the church, you would love a five word sermon. If I just got up here and said, good morning, I love you. And you would just go home and you'd be the first, you'd beat all of the Methodists to the Golden Corral. You'd be in. But alas, I talk longer. And then he did that, and the Ninevites, they turned, and it said even their animals, they, they put sackcloth and ashes on the cows. The cows turned back to God. And Jonah gets so mad. And, and here's what he says. Here's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He says in verse 2 of chapter 4, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah wanted the Ninevites to get slammed. And I know that none of us have ever felt that way toward anyone else. I know none of us have ever looked down our nose at someone else and said, I just don't want good things to happen to them, right? We're all totally conscious, clear on that. None of us have been jealous of somebody that has something that we don't have. None of us have looked down or, or put someone down simply because they're different. That's not anything that this culture struggles with, of, of being self-righteous in the face of someone that's different from you. I could say two words that would prove us all totally, ready? Two words, and you know, I don't like to be, I don't choose political sides, but Democratic, Republicans, Democrats, Republicans, because they they're known for getting along. Like, I just scroll through Twitter every day thinking, when, is, when are Trump and Hillary and Bernie just going to have a potluck at the White House? I never find it because they don't get along. And we have the same tendency. Jonah, at the core, what he's doing here is he's, he's being racist toward the Ninevites. They were a different people, a different ethnic group, and, and he wanted them to die because they had tortured, they had conquered, they had done horrendous things. Like, we would think, yeah, they deserve to die. But ultimately, God has a different plan. And in this story... The Ninevites are just a secondary character. God's teaching us something through Jonah, who is a prophet of God. This is a religious man. So just because you come to church, just because you have a church background or a religious person, does not exempt you from these things. We all tend to have this self-righteous syndrome, where we look down our nose at others who are different from us. Jonah's was racism in his day, that manifestation of racism. It's, that's saying that my race is superior to another race, so I'm going to look down. And, and just so we're clear, when you, when you try to push others down, it doesn't make you higher. It just gives you the false illusion that you're higher. And we still see this today. 
there, there's other ways to look down. Maybe this is not you. Maybe you're not that person who's going to look down on others because of their ethnic background or makeup. But we look down on people for a variety of reasons. Some of us look down on people because we are so enlightened. We are modern, progressive people. We believe the truth. We understand things. We are so smart because we have this modern way of thinking to understand this view of sexuality or that. And, and sometimes your enlightenedness can look down on others. Those are people, they are backwoods, hillbillies, rednecks. They don't know anything. And on the flip side, sometimes those backwoods, hillbilly, redneck people that the those who are quote-unquote enlightened look down on, those people look up and say, you guys are just so educated, you're dumb. I mean, it, it really takes, it's a special thing to go to college and become professors and come out as dumb as some of these people have come out as, and I'm doing it right now, see? Because it's so easy to look down our nose at someone else for a variety of reasons. Some, some of you do it for a religion. You say, well, their religion is, they, I can't believe, how could they be part of this religion? Fill in whatever blank you want to. My religion is superior. Just in case you need some clarity, it's not your religion. Otherwise, your name would be in lights right here. Otherwise, in the sign out front, it wouldn't say all about Jesus. It would say all about whoever else it is, which would be awkward. It would be awkward if in the middle of Fishhawk, we had a sign that said the chapel at Fishhawk, all about Frank. It's a weird name. I mean, I like Frank. He's, he terrifies me sometimes. He puts the fear of God in me sometimes. But he's not God. Now, we can look down at people for being a different religion. We could look down at people for having wealth. Some of us look at others who have much more, and we say, ah, they just have it so easy. They just don't know the struggle of having to live paycheck to paycheck. Interesting fun fact. Did you know that they, they've done many social science studies, and uh, the happiest income, like by, by income measurement of happiness in the social sciences, which, which can be a little flexible, is between $75,000 and $95,000 per year. And once you make beyond $95,000 per year, there's a tapering effect of your happiness based on income. Because having a lot of money, for, for those of you who, who are like, I would love to have more money, you think it will solve your problems. But I've, I've sat across the table from many, many, many very, very wealthy people and just seen the amount of stress that I don't want to touch. I've seen people who have had to sacrifice their children on the altar of their career. It's hard. And if I offered you a job today, I said, I'm going to give you two job offers. One, it's the same exact job. You take this job, 65 hours a week, you make $95,000 a year, full health benefits, dental, 401k, the whole nine yards. Same job, but in this one, same health benefits, everything, but I'm going to pay you 500 grand a year. Which job are you taking? <laughs> See, so right now some of you are like, well, you just told me the study. But $500,000 feels happier, way happier in the inside. Because we have this thing, we, we haven't solved the same thing that Solomon did in the book of Ecclesiastes. The Ecclesiastes effect is we think if we have more, then we will be happier. And we think if we have more, we'll solve our problems. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you guys. Someone offers me the same job, other than a church job. A church job, I, I don't want to take that much money. I think that's just wrong. But, but if they're like, hey, you can deliver water, and we're going to pay you this or that. I'd be like, 500000 I'm going to do the rain dance. Make it rain. I'm going to go home and tell my wife. I'm going to be like, babe, we're going to get gold-plated diapers. No, I wouldn't do that. That's dumb. Um, but, but we look down on people, and, and sometimes those who have their life all together look down on those who don't. There's hundreds of ways that we can look down our nose at others. And humans fall into this trap. We just do it. 
Republicans, Democrats, successful, unsuccessful, self-controlled, not self-controlled, the list can go on and on. The human heart gravitates to looking down on others to make ourselves feel higher, but it doesn't work, I promise you. I'm at six foot, six inches tall. I look down on everybody physically, not, not spiritually or personally, but I literally have to look down at you because you're all little. I see all the baldness coming before you see it coming. And, um, and, and in that, uh, you learn something. It's weird being tall. First, first of all, you learn that, that other people, when you're in a crowd, you're like, you stare at people all day long. And when you go to a theme park, for example, you're, you can't see. It's a sea of human peopleness. I, I don't know how you guys do it. All of you guys who are short people, like those of you who are six foot six and under, just the little people. This, this perspective, though, it doesn't make me feel s- superior. I don't, I do, I'm just tall and lanky. But people that do that in the relational sense, that look down on others, you think it makes you taller. It does not. You're the same height as a human. You have the same stature. You are who you are. If you put someone else down, it actually can affect them, but it doesn't affect you. It makes you feel better than you really are. It makes you feel like you're on the winning side, the smart side. And you may not even want to touch it. You may want to say, I'm not going to go here and stop looking down on other people. You may want to stay in your foxhole and think that my people are right, those other people are bad, but that's not what God did. God went to the Ninevites. God told Jonah to go to your enemies because he wanted to love Jonah's enemies, and Jonah did not. And then God was patient with Jonah, the religious person, because some of us don't want to change. And God says, I'm going to get your attention one way or the other. We have this tendency. Some of you are the ones who are the, 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 there's two, let's say the two speeds, high speed, type A speed. You do it all. You control your life. And for you, that's what it's all about, that you can control the outcome of your life, that you can work hard, that you can get it done yourself, and that you feel superior to others. That, that might describe you. If that's your spouse, just nudge them. That's you. Uh, there's another type of person, like a bee drive, that you don't like yourself. You're full of self-hatred and guilt and shame and regret. And, and you can go between these sort of drives, like one speed, two speed. And uh, they're both pride. One is pride of your own accomplishments. The other is you should do better. It's the negative so- side of pride on the same coin. And, and it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how these affect people. I'm, uh, I'm half Filipino, for those of you who don't know me, and I, w- I was raised by my mom, so I didn't have a ton of the Filipino influence, but uh, there is this underlying thing in Asian culture, and I don't know if you've heard of this, um, but we have a different grading scale, and I was a terrible student. I passed high school by the skin of my teeth. I had to get a D in government my senior year to be able to walk, and, uh, but there was still, like, uh, really, like, my grandfather, my grandmother, they were the only remnants because I don't think my dad was a good student. I, I had, I've never really asked him about his grades. But I, I remember, like, the jokes. And my, most of my cousins, a lot of them were great students. And if you are an Asian person, the grading scale is different from other people. It, a is average. Yeah. B is bad. If you get a C, it means can't have dinner tonight. D, don't come home. F, find a new family. Yeah, and there was a, and it was never put on me from my, my mom because my mom's the, the other side of me. It's why you're thinking like that guy's a Filipino, the tallest flipping Pino I've ever seen. Um, 
it's, it's my, my dad's side of the family, but this, it's just in the culture, like this striving for excellence. And then I went to college, and I did great. And I went from being this, like, ah, I don't care, I, I stink at school. And I was that guy in high, in high school, and I went to college, and I'm like, I can do this, and I nailed it. But in high school, we had the graduates come up uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was just in awe. We had three of them in one row, and it was like, this person had this honor and this honor, and they had, like, cords and the tassels. When I graduated in my school, they shamed the dumb kids like me. It was like the smart kids get white gowns, and the dummies get the purple ones. And if you had the honors, you got bat patches and cord things, extra ones. I was, like, basically at graduation in my underwear, like, I barely made it. Yeah. And then in college, I'm like, oh, graduate with honors and all that. I'm like, I didn't even want to go to that. I'm like, I don't need to go to that. I'm too smart for those people. Superior. We do it. The human heart does this. Jonah was doing this. If you don't know how to solve this, you have to understand that if you are the person that is beating yourself up, that has so much self-hatred, I need you to know that you are worse than you think you are. That's a big pick-me-up for today, right? If you are like, I'm a terrible human, I'm telling you today, no, you are worse than terrible. And that is good news. Because the other side of what we call the gospel, the gospel just means the good news. The other side of it is, despite the fact that you are a train wreck of a human, that you hide your sin, that you run from God, God chases you down. And it's called the gift of grace. Grace means free gift. And if you receive God's grace, you can no longer feel superior because it wasn't about you. It's not about how good you are. It's about, not about how uh, straight of a path you can walk. It's about what God did for you through Jesus on the cross. So the good news of Jesus removes us from being able to feel pride based on our accomplishments. And it, it frees us from the self-pity of lashing ourselves because it says, no, God loved you enough to bring you out of that. But it, it didn't have to do with how amazing you were with the decisions that you made, God brought you out. He chased you down, just like he's chasing Jonah. So Jonah goes to flee because he didn't want to deal with his enemy. God wants you today to deal with your enemies. The Bible even says, don't even make a sacrifice to God. Don't even come to worship God if you've got something against another, but instead go make peace with them. And it says, Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish. I have a little map so you can see. I want you to see how far this is. So Jonah started uh, just this side of Joppa, Joppa was the port, and God said, go to Nineveh, 500 miles. And I remember this is before they had like Audis or whatever, so it's far. Uh, that's the enemy, modern day, uh, like um, outside of Mosul. And then Jonah said, I'm going the other way to Joppa. And then he went to take a ship to Tarshish, which was the last port before you got into the Atlantic. So functionally, Jonah says, instead of going this distance, I'm going to the literal end of the world. That's how far I want to get from this. And this is God sent the waves. Now this, this story, it's about the things that tend to creep into us as God's people. Don't, don't think, oh, I'm not like Jonah. I wouldn't run. Some of you have never stopped running since you began. The, the first step, the first motion, the first act of faith in Christianity is understanding not that you were just a, a kind of bad person that needs to be good. No, you have been a fugitive on the run from God. And each of us runs a little bit differently. But until you get that first step, acknowledging that you have run from God, and that to some degree you still run from him, even if you are in God, if, if you don't get that, this profound knowledge of who you are and how you run, this Christian thing will be very difficult for you. Jonah knew Psalm 139, 
that you can't run from the presence of the Lord. If you go high, he's there. If you go down, he's there. If you go far, God's there. I love, um, I love running with my children. My children, the oldest one is nine still, and he's pretty fast. I'm going to give him some credit. But nobody in my, my direct family is faster than me. Like, my kids can't outrun me. And it's, it's funny, like, as a father, you know, you, your kids try to best you in something, especially on, like, it's Father's Day today. Do you, do you remember the first time you genuinely lost at something to one of your children? It's like the most humbling thing you can do. Mom, you can't shake your head no. I have beat you at things, and I can see you from here. <laughs> my son will, my son can beat his grandmothers in arm wrestling. He's big and bad, that Jackson. It's because he's got leverage. His arms are like three water noodles combined. Just leverage. But then he's like, Dad, I beat Gee. I could beat Nana. That's arm wrestle. Now, I know I'm not, you know, I'm not like this massive bodybuilder. I mean, I know I, I do appear strong, but don't be fooled. Um, I, oh, sidebar. I've been a vegan for two months. I ate cheese three times this week. Just three little pieces. So I broke my veganism, but now I'm back on the train because cheese. But, but when I arm wrestle my son, um, he's like, I can beat mom. I can beat Guy. It's his grandma on one side. Nana, grandma on my side. So he thinks I can beat you. Now what he doesn't understand is all he is is a miniature version of me. So the leverage he has against them, I have that much more on him. I can almost itch my ankles just by a little side tilt. Just arms, okay? So we go to arm wrestle, and he's like, come on. And his arm's like down here, and I'm like, do 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 And it's really good for my self-esteem, because I'm like, I can destroy all nine-year-olds. And I have this thing where I don't let my kids win. Some of you dads, you're like that dad. You want to be the nice dad. You play hide-and-seek with your kids, and you're like, where are you? I don't know. When I play hide-and-seek, I'm like, you're there, 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 there. You lose. Like, you're not, we play chess. I'm like, four-move checkmate, you're out. You better learn how to defend yourself. So arm wrestling, I'm like, I'm going to crush your soul. <laughs> oh, you're so strong. Sometimes I'll just, I'll say, have you started yet? You, you guys do this with them, right? Have you even started? Do you even lift, bro? And then I beat him. You're like, it's, it's ridiculous. Jackson will never beat you at this size differential. Uh, yeah, this, that ridiculousness of running from God is cosmically greater, cosmically more stupid, cosmically more nearsighted that we would actually escape than, than my son would beat me in an arm wrestling match, than Bella would beat me in an arm wrestling match. Bella is so tiny, she can't do anything. But the, the closeness of ability between me and Bella is much closer, infinitely closer than the closeness between me and God as far as my ability to, to win. God wins. So Jonah runs. The storm comes. Can you imagine? In this book, there's four chapters. Chapter one is the setup, the setting. Jonah comes. He disobeys. The storm comes. Chapter two is a prayer. Jonah's in a whale saying, God, I'm in a whale or a fish or whatever it is. Chapter 3, Jonah goes and gives the saddest five-word sermon to the whole city. And then they turn. And chapter 4 is Jonah saying, God, I'm so angry I could die. I can't believe it. You would forgive these people. And then the story ends. Jonah's not a good guy. There's a children's version of the story where Jonah goes back home and says, and then Jonah served God the rest of his life. No, no, the story ends very poorly. 
Jonah basically sits there and God says, I wanted to love your enemy. Are not 120,000 people worth it? And then it's like cliffhanger. <laughs> Some of you don't want to forgive your enemies today. Some of you don't even want to enter into this book. Some of you are like, I am never coming for the rest of this sermon series because every week of this sermon series is a punch in the gut. But I need you to understand that God will lovingly, lovingly send storms your way. He's not doing it because he's going to hate you or, or hurt you. He's, that's not his objective. God's objective when storms come into your life is to draw you into his arms as a father. God's objective is to get you to see that when you run from him, you're not running for your life, you're running from true life. So God sent this storm. Some of you are like, I am in a storm. And, and we're not going to get into the super heady theoretical stuff today. I don't want you to say, oh, I can't believe, you know, what is God, God did send my cancer? Did he send this death? Did he send this financial distress? I just want you to know this. If you're in something right now, turn to God. Look at the way that you react to God when he is calling you toward himself. Are you a runner? Jonah's a runner. God said, over here, Jonah ran. Adam and Eve were hiders. Remember when they sinned? So they sinned and they hid in a bush, playing hide and seek from God. God can't find us. God's like, I made the bush. I made the tree. I made the dirt. I made gravity. Maybe you're a hider. We all manage our sin differently. We, at the chapel, we refer to this as sin management. Some of us run. Some of us hide. David covered and lied. He, he slept with Bathsheba. She got pregnant. He said, we're going to cover this up. Let's get the husband home. Husband was honorable, so David said, let's just kill him. So cover up. Some of you cover up. I've got to hide this, lie about this, put this, stash this over here. Until you understand your strategy to deal with your sin and to deal with your relationship with God when you don't want to follow him, this Christianity thing will be a hard, hard road. And we all do it differently. Even my kids, you can see it in my own children. One of them, when they get in trouble, runs. Right now, it's, it's the, one of my favorite things. Oh, it's so sad, though. Savannah, if I get mad at her at all, if I use any semblance of my bat dad voice, like, Savannah, what are you doing? She cries, and she's so heavy-footed, she just runs away to her room. Ah, thud, 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 thud. And then she'll come out within 10 seconds, just ready to play again. But she just cries and runs, and then runs right back. Uh, Silas is my hider. He gets in trouble. If there's a blanket nearby, he turns himself into a burrito. He wants to hide from his sin. Jackson, oh, he's right here, so I can't pick on him. But you know what you do. How do you run from God? How do you hide? Do you cover up? Do you blame others? It's time that we just stand. And only in the good news of Jesus can we truly stand and say, I am worse than I think I am, but God loved me more than I ever imagined. So I can stand in this grace. Only because Jesus left the heaven throne and came to earth and, and gave his perfect life for your imperfect life can we now say, I didn't, earn it. So who am I to be superior to anyone else? God loved me because he loved me, not because of how amazing I am. In case you didn't know that, if you're new to this thing we call church, God didn't pick you because you're an amazing human. He didn't look down and say, I'm going to find the best and the brightest, and I'm going to pick them into my family. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the very opposite. God looked down and said, I'm going to find some of the jacked up train wreck, the outsiders, the people no one else likes. I'm going to bring them into my family. And now you have a choice. You can either stand in Jesus, knowing that you are loved by God and worse than you think you are. And it's the best way to live. 
It's the way where you can finally drop those stress levels down. When, when someone accuses you of being a terrible person, you just say, actually, I'm even worse. If it's in a marriage, that's the best way to, I've found, because in marriages, what happens is you get in these Wyatt Earp, OK Corral fights, and one spouse goes, and you start shooting things. You're this, you're this. But if you just say, actually, I'm even worse. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I let myself just fall into that pattern. You know what happens when you say that to your, your spouse? You just take the bullets right out of their gun. When you say, I'm even worse than that, then they're like, I've got nothing else to shoot at you. Maybe that's you. Whatever it is that you're doing, remember that the love that God has for you is because he chose to love you while you were still sinners. While you were still enemies of God, he pursued you. And he's pursuing you today. He's calling out to you today. Don't run. Don't cover. Bring your brokenness to the foot of the cross where God nailed it away for all of eternity. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the way that you have chased after me. I thank you for the way that you have chased after those who are in this room, God, because if we're here today, we are on your chasing plan because you love us. Father, I, I need you to continue to chase me down when I am stupid and foolish. I need you to chase me down when I want to cover or hide or run. And I need you to do it for everyone in this chapel family. Help us, God, to come around one another, to be not those who look down our nose at others, but those who can lift others up because you lifted us up. I thank you for this book, Lord. Change us this summer so that we will have a type of love, a texture of love that will change the relationships in our lives. God, we love you. Happy Father's Day. I'll talk to you soon.